Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. This is the second Sunday of the Great Fast according to the liturgical calendar of those Eastern churches who follow the Gregorian calendar. Some of them do not. Some of them follow the Julian calendar, so-called Old Calendar. So their Lent has, well, it's not started yet. In fact, their Easter or Pascha will actually be in the beginning of May. So there's quite a difference. But we here at Light of the East are on the Gregorian calendar, although we are an Eastern church. And on that calendar, this is the second Sunday of Lent for us. Before we get too far into that, there's a very significant event that, as you're listening to this program, hopefully, probably already happened, because our program is pre-recorded. So this event may have already happened. But if it did, it's a very significant event. And of course, we can't say right now what exactly happened if it did happen. We will comment on it in subsequent programs. But the event I'm talking about is an event that is absolutely historical. It is the planned meeting, hopefully already happened, of the meeting between Pope Francis and the Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill. This was planned to happen in Cuba. And this is historic because this never happened before in the history of the church, where a pope actually met face-to-face with a Russian Orthodox Patriarch. The Pope was on his way to Mexico, and basically this meeting between he and the Russian Orthodox Patriarch was not originally planned, but they did plan it eventually, and they planned to meet at a so-called neutral territory. In other words, not in Russia or in Rome. There's all kinds of long-standing political reasons for this, this kind of thing. But they planned to meet in a neutral place. It was Cuba. And they did so largely because of the concern of the persecuted Christians. We're in a time now when we speak of ecumenical relations, and by that we mean relations between the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. That is actually the technical definition for the word ecumenism. It's not necessarily between the Catholic Church and Protestant churches. That's more or less interreligious dialogue. But to be specific, ecumenism really is about those churches 
that are sacramental with apostolic succession, that being the Orthodox churches and the Catholic Church, both East and West. So in these times of ecumenism between the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic churches, I believe that there is one thing that they certainly are agreeing upon. I don't know exactly for sure. That's my sense of it as I research things and keep my ear to the ground of the church, (laughs) listen to both lungs breathing east and west. My sense is that they both realize that the very, very formidable, formidable enemies that we're both facing, both lungs of the church, east and west, cannot really be fought effectively when we are apart, when we are separated from each other. The kind of formidable enemies that we both face are such that we have to be united. And I think that this is an attempt to, at least towards reunion, not that it will happen at this meeting between the Russian Orthodox Patriarch and the Pope, but certainly it is a historic meeting and therefore a good step forward, a big step forward. They both realize that they're facing similar enemies, very formidable enemies, as I mentioned. It's religious persecution on one hand, especially at the hands of Islam extremism, and also moral relativism. These two things are like a vice that are squeezing Christian civilization on both sides. And both the eastern and western lungs of the church really feel that together. They both feel it. It's not happening just exclusively to one or the other, but to both. And I think they know. I mean, wisdom would say, everything else aside, wisdom would say, these enemies are very formidable and they're taking many victims today and we need to come together because a house divided really cannot stand. It certainly cannot stand up against this kind of evil. So we need to come together to work together and take those steps. We're very proud to see that in the report of the planning of this meeting between the Pope and the Russian Orthodox Patriarch, that in the Wall Street Journal, our good friend here at Light of the East, he's from Eastern Christian Publications, Jack Fiegel, was asked to make a comment. So he was quoted a couple of times. In fact, Jack said this of this uh, upcoming meeting. Jack said that this was a breakthrough as it suggested that the Russian Orthodox Church would finally participate in the dialogues that had been going on since the Second Vatican Council, especially since St. John Paul II. And Jack Fiegel also said that the subject of the Ukraine was the biggest bone of contention between Moscow and Rome, and he expressed concern that the Russian government might use the meeting with the Pope to bolster the Russian presence in Ukraine. Yes, this point about the tension between Ukraine and Russia is a very big point on two levels. First of all, on a political level, but also on the level of the church. Because you see, during Soviet communism, the Eastern Catholic churches, many of which were in the present-day Ukraine, were persecuted. They were liquidated. They were considered to be, declared to be illegal by the Soviets. The priests were taken from their churches, their families, and the priests themselves were tortured and beaten. Many of them died in captivity. They were sent to Siberia. Churches were closed, knocked down. Persecution of all manner and form happened, especially to the Eastern Catholic churches in the area of Ukraine, and also in what is now Eastern Slovakia. Today it was Czechoslovakia at the time, parts of Hungary, Poland, and so on. That whole area was under the persecution of the atheistic Soviet government. Well, when the Soviet Union fell and the Iron Curtain fell in Germany, there was a push to gain back and to reopen those Eastern Catholic churches in that region, because many of them also, not only were they closed, but many of them were also 
turned over to the Orthodox Church. And, and at that time, the Orthodox Church, as a matter of fact, this is not a criticism of the Orthodox Church itself, or its theology, of course, but the fact is that the Orthodox Church was infiltrated at that time by Soviets and KGB agents. And so they influenced and took control in some degree of the Orthodox Churches. So they took the churches away from the Eastern Catholics and gave them to the Orthodox. Well, when communism fell, starting in about 1991, the Eastern Catholics wanted to have their churches back. And, of course, that created a great deal of friction and tension because some of the Orthodox people had already grown up in those churches. They they thought that those churches were theirs. So why are these people coming to take our church away? But originally it was not their church. So a lot of unfortunate tension happened around this issue of church ownership between the Eastern Catholics and the Orthodox churches in the area that we know today as Ukraine. Metropolitan Metropolitan Hilarion, a Russian Orthodox bishop, said that they were still concerned about the actions of the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church, which he said was encroaching on traditionally Orthodox areas outside its traditional base in Western Ukraine. The Russians are claiming, many people in the Russian Orthodox Church are claiming, that the Vatican, or the Roman Catholic Church, is trying to pick away at the Russian Orthodox Church by means of the Eastern Catholic Churches, particularly in Western Ukraine. Because the Eastern Catholic Churches and the Orthodox Churches really used to be one. They're cut from the same cloth. They are both Eastern and especially Byzantine Eastern Christians. They follow the Byzantine rite. The liturgy, the spirituality is the same. In other words, my Byzantine Catholic Church is identical to the Orthodox Church. In every way, except for the fact that we, of course, because we're Catholic at the same time, accept the teachings, the magisterium of the Catholic Church. We recognize the Pope. He is our Pope and our Patriarch. Even Eastern Catholic churches that have their own Patriarch also still recognize the Pope. So that's the big difference. The recognition of the Pope as the head of the church and also the recognition and acceptance of the teachings and theology of the Roman Catholic Church. Although the Eastern Catholic churches within the whole Catholic Church celebrate or live out many of these teachings in their respective ways. So it's an interesting balance to be an Eastern Christian, yet in union with and accepting the Roman Catholic Church. It's a very, very interesting, sometimes precarious place to be. But that's the walk that we walk here in the Eastern Catholic Churches, but it is a bone of contention to the Orthodox Churches, in particular the Russian Orthodox Church. And again, as I mentioned, these tensions go back a long time, but In modern times, it goes back to the time of the Soviet Union and after its fall and the attempted recovery of many of the Eastern Catholic churches. We have many churches that have been recovered and many have not been recovered, probably never will. So these are some of the areas of concern. The two biggest areas of concern that divide the Russian Orthodox Church from the Roman Catholic Church are this. In fact, I'll throw in a third one. First of all, it's the presence, the existence of the Eastern Catholic churches, of which I am a member. They believe that that was a form of proselytizing on the part of the Roman Catholic Church, as I mentioned, chipping away at the Orthodox Church. They had a sense of betrayal about that. The Russian Orthodox Church believed that the Byzantine Catholic churches that are in the Slavic areas, the Eastern Europe, Central Europe, should be part of them, the Russian Orthodox Church, and that we, in a sense, sneaked out of their home and went to somebody else's home. So the Eastern Catholic churches, sometimes called the Uniate churches, are a big bone of contention. The second thing is the place of the Pope, especially in terms of infallibility and his universal 
jurisdiction. And the third thing is the recognition of who the first among equals is among the patriarchs of the Orthodox Church. Oftentimes, Patriarch Bartholomew of the Greek Orthodox Church is seen as the first among equals, but that's not a very happy thought on the part of the Russian Orthodox. So those are the three areas right now. There are other areas, but those are the three areas in particular that still divide the Russian Orthodox Church from the Roman Catholic Church. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this season of the Great Fast in the Eastern Long of the Church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. As a married couple, how would you like to give each other the gift of love itself? then this is for you. Hello, I'm Father Thomas J. Loya, and I am inviting husbands and wives to join me and the team of the Tabor Life Institute at St. Nicholas Parish in Munster, Indiana on Saturday, February 27th, and at St. Basil's Parish in Sterling Heights, Michigan on Saturday, April 30th for Embracing the Mystery, a day of recollection for married couples. Our presentation weds together the sacramental liturgical worldview of Byzantine spirituality and St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body to rediscover the why of marriage so as to know the how of a happy sacramental marriage. We will also integrate what goes on in church with what should go on in our homes. For information and to register, visit TaborLife.org. That's TaborLife.org. Or call 708-645-0762. 708-645-0762. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Hi, I am Father Thomas Loya, and I have a special invitation for the ladies. If you are seeking greater happiness in your marriage or just greater perfection in your own personal lives, then come to the 4th Annual Women's Retreat Friday to Sunday, March 4th to the 6th at the Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation Retreat Center in Cary, Ohio. Greater perfection is the theme for this retreat, which I will be directing based upon the writings of Blessed Sister Miriam Teresa Demjanovic, the first person to be declared blessed on American soil. To find out more and to register, call Joan at 419-798-9107. 419-798-9107 or email Joan at washburn.joan5 at gmail.com That's washburn.joan5 at gmail.com I look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. I'd like to say hello to a few good friends, listeners, as we always enjoy hearing from you. And from time to time, I'd like to say hello to you. Thanks for listening. Especially our good friends in the Chicago area, Tom and Kathleen Masters. And also, as always, our great friend, the man who got it all started for us here at Lie of the East, Charles Cook, way up in Saginaw, Michigan. Hello to all of you, especially in prison. It's an honor for us to serve you in this way. Thank you for listening, and we, we do keep you in our prayers. I appreciate your letters that you send to me. I can't always answer them, but I do appreciate them. Please know that I think about you all the time. We are praying for you, and we're very happy to be able to present the light of the East to you as you are in prison. It's our way of visiting you in prison, which, of course, is one of the great acts of mercy. 
Also, hello to all those out in the West Coast. We have many fans here at Light of the East out in the West Coast of California. So hello to everybody who's listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all of your comments and letters. If you do want to write to me by email, you can go to TaborLife at earthlink.net, TaborLife at earthlink.net. I also have a number of things that you'll find out about on the website, TaborLife.org. One of those is a day of recollection for married couples coming up in two places, Saturday, February 27th in Munster, Indiana, and also Saturday, April 30th in Sterling Heights, Michigan. You can find out more about that by going to our website, TaborLife.org, TaborLife.org. And also, of course, the weekend of March 4th to the 6th, I'll be directing a treat for women called Greater Perfection, based on the writings of a beautiful, blessed person named Sister Miriam Teresa Demjanovich. She died at age 26. She was a Byzantine Catholic girl, and she joined the Sisters of Charity, and she was a novice there and wrote these very, very special conferences, which became known as her writings, Greater Perfection. So, Greater Perfection, a retreat for women, Friday to Sunday, March 4th through 6th in Cary, Ohio. For more information or to register, call Joan at 419-798-9107. As I mentioned earlier, this is the second Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar that follows the Gregorian calendar. And this theme focuses on a saint named Gregory Palamas, but not just the saint himself. He was a 14th century saint in the Eastern Church, and he was part of what was called the Hesychist Movement. And hesychist is a word which means silence. This saint, Gregory Palamas, and the hesychist movement gives us a great insight, a great insight into part of the soul of Eastern Christian spirituality. Part of the soul of Eastern Christian spirituality is its mysticism, the mystical. Now, we find it to be a strange word in our culture. We think it means something new age or kind of spooky or weird. But mysticism really means It's really a Christian-based word. It means what is most real. It means that connection between something revealed and something hidden, the invisible and the invisible and the visible coming together, and we live in the confluence of the two. That's what mystery means. It means we can, for instance, say things about God. We know many things about God because God has revealed himself, especially through his incarnation and through the scriptures and the liturgy of the church. But there's so much that we cannot know about God. And the Hesychus spirituality is based upon what we call apophatic spirituality. See, there's cataphatic and apophatic. Cataphatic means to come to a knowledge closest to God by being able to perceive revealed things, contemplate nature, you know, like the natural law, and prayer, and so on. In other words, our experience of God in the natural world, in the concrete. Apophatic means our experience of God by means of what we cannot say about him. In other words, that aspect of him that remains so beyond us, yet we know it's there, it's real. It's, well, did you ever have an experience where you you try to explain to somebody, you say, well, I really can't explain it. I really can't find the words. You know, you had to have been there, but this is what I mean. And you grope for words to try to convey that experience, which was so powerful and so unique to you. You try to convey that to another person, but you can't. It's, it's, it's not possible, and you almost get frustrated. And you keep telling them, well, I can't really explain it, but it was really, really amazing experience. Well, that's something like apophatic spirituality, and the East is very strong on that. 
especially these hesychists. Now, these hesychists were monks. As I mentioned, the word means silence. It means they would come to an experience of God, not by thinking about images of him, going even beyond images, even beyond the sacred icons, even beyond words or physical experiences. It was like a sense of God in your very spirit, in your soul, that was very, very direct. This is what we mean by mystical. And, and to have that experience, you, you had to be silent. Silent meaning not just no noise, but meaning silent in terms of all the senses. It's like a more direct experience of God and his, what we call his uncreated energies. Now, as an author of a book called Orthodox Christianity, Marriage and Contraception, his name is Anthony Stalin. We've referred to him before in our program. And he gives a nice explanation in his book, which I highly recommend. Again, it's called Orthodox Christianity, Marriage and Contraception. He says this in his book, The fathers of the Hesychist traditions, which is the Orthodox spiritual tradition par excellence, recognize a threefold makeup of the human nature, spirit, soul, and body. See, we're not just soul and body. We're spirit, soul, and body. Our highest faculty, our spirit, has direct communion with God, the Holy Spirit, through the uncreated energies, which he imparts to us through our lives of communion in the sacraments, through the keeping of the commandments, and through prayer. Now, he also says this, the energies of the Spirit of God are poured into the human person through the highest faculty of human nature, the spirit, or nous, Greek word nous, N-O-U-S. The energies then pour into the soul, which vivifies and gives life to the material body. The transfiguration of Christ on Mount Tabor reveals the destiny of mankind, and then he shows the energies of the Holy Spirit pouring forth visibly into the world as a divine light the glory of the age to come. Now, these energies would correspond to what we might know more commonly as grace, God's grace. In other words, there's the essence of God, who God is in himself, that which he is and he is alone. Nothing can be God. We can become like unto God and become partakers of his nature, but we can never, ever be his essence, or partake of his essence, of his nature, yes, but not of his essence. And in order to unite with God, because that's our goal, as the Bible says at the very end, the smash ending of the Bible is the wedding feast of the Lamb, that union, that intimate union of the bridegroom Christ with his bride, the church. That is a union of great intimacy, where we actually become one with God. Not equal, but become one with Him, partaking of His very nature. Well, in order for that to happen, there has to be something that extends out from God that is other than His essence, because we can't, we can't unite with His essence. We can't be God. So, the Eastern Fathers came up with this explanation of energies, his uncreated energies. In other words, God is, of course, eternal, no beginning and no end, so his energies are uncreated, but they emanate from him, and we are penetrated by those energies, something like we would think of grace. And that penetration of God into us through his energies is what changes us and makes us holy and gives us that sense of union with God and that sense of well, we experience it with this sense of silence that the Hesychist explained. Silence meaning 
it goes beyond all imagery, all words, all sound. It's just something you know is so incredibly real, but you can't contain it in any finite matter with words or images or sounds or gestures or anything. This is what we mean by the Hesychus spirituality and the spirituality of apophaticism, coming to know God by what he is not, coming to know God by what we don't know about him. It's an affirmation by negation. <laughs> Sounds contradictory, but it actually makes perfect sense. After all, God is beyond all categories, all means to express. And so we honor today this saint who helped to promote this beautiful spirituality, this hesychist apophatic spirituality of God's uncreated energies that allow us to become intimate with him. St. Gregory Palamas, the 14th century saint of the Eastern Church, we honor on this day of the second Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar according to the Gregorian reckoning of the calendar. I appreciate you listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!